welcome to Salem Happenings, a show digging into the issues that you're all talking about around the city. We're joined by former city art planner Deborah Greel, Salem Gazette reporter Will Dowd, and retired Salem academic administ- Salem State Academic Administrator Gwendolyn Rosemond and Salem State Professor Rebecca Haynes. I'm Dustin Luca with the Salem News, and as always, we're joined behind the scenes by SATV producer Alan Hanscom. There's certainly been no shortage of happenings lately between the city's continuing response to the COVID-19 pandemic, work tied to the housing crisis and race equity, and even a business proposal just outside of downtown that has caused a sharp wave of conversation. Um, So we're just going to start with the vaccine stuff. With the release of this episode, we can officially say we've been doing this whole social distancing thing for a year. Those of us on Happenings have been able to cover and discuss this and watch, more importantly, as the city's response has shifted from reactive to proactive. At the core of all of this is the city's efforts to get residents vaccinated, which by now has been running for some time, as well as state efforts at regional sites like the Doubletree and Danvers, which has also served many Salem residents as well. I have a feeling that we all know where we sit on this, but tables goes of everybody uh what do you feel um which one are we talking about we're talking about the vaccine so i've had my first shot um it's i don't know what to say about how you get to you know be able to schedule one i was lucky i was on my laptop and on a phone from like six o'clock in the morning i was texting a friend trying to do the same thing I was uh, pretty shocked when it first came up. Um, so I hopped on it. I didn't get my first three times. Finally, I was able to do that. One of the, I, it's a dub, double tree. That was very easy. But what I noticed was trying to go in and schedule something for my daughter, who's a childcare worker. Now you have to get in line. And I was 20, 29,000 in line. In I I had a very similar experience where my mom, fortunately, she's uh, 85 this week. She was able to get vaccinated at the Doubletree site in the earliest phase when it was only open to seniors. But I was eligible to go as her companion um, for her second shot. I couldn't get an appointment. I was 65,000 in line. So clearly the system that they had you know, operating there wasn't working as well as it opened to more groups of people. And, you know, I, I honestly, I was fine with that. I'm happy to see shots get in the arms of whoever is eligible and whoever needs them as quickly as possible. But it was a very interesting experiment in just how challenging that technology had been at that time to sign up. And I'm not sure if it's gotten any better. Anyone have any experience trying to get um, a vaccination appointment more recently? I have, first of all, I'm two weeks out from my second Pfizer shot mm. and no side effects. Well, unless you count the fact that I slept all day the day after, but no side effects, no discomfort. And I'm fascinated by the stories about how going through the state system, because totally unexpected to me, I got a text and a text and email from Brigham and Women's Leahy. Uh, this would have been about a month and a half ago now, um, saying you are eligible for your shot. Here's what you need to do to make an appointment. And so it was initiated by them. And I can only, because I don't know, only imagine that it was because that's my primary care. But it wasn't from the physician's office. It was from the the company, the corporate, whomever. Um, so I was able to right then go on go on the length that they gave me get an appointment get it confirmed uh i went to the location it was about a week later one week later 
went to the location. I was in line for barely five minutes, checked in, went through all the check-in procedure, sat my 15 minutes to see what happened and was back out probably within a half hour, 45 minutes. So I am still not clear. And I know people who have been, like you say, have been waiting and waiting at her 9,067th in line. And so on the one hand, I felt momentarily a little guilty about uh, this process that I went through, but on the other hand, very glad about it. And I don't know why the, the hospital system was able to pull its patients in, which I think is a wonderful thing. Meanwhile, my daughter, my daughter is still waiting to hear from someone for the next go around when she can get in. And Gwen, I can't. That, yeah, that that actually. Um, so Gwen and I are obviously in the sixty-five plus area. <laughs> um, Way plus. Yeah. So um, I, I had the same response after, after I actually went to Doubletree, I'm in the partner system and I too got a text that says, come on in. I had already had my schedule. Um, one other thing that, I, that, that was interesting that happened when I went on Doubletree, couldn't get that for my daughter. I went back on the Mass website and I just typed in my, my location, 01970, and Natick Mall popped up just randomly just popped up and i was able to, again i went in i didn't get the first three appointments but i did get one for her at the natick mall again this is like a random crapshoot you know? and i do know another person whose mom went over to the um went over to lynn to the cvs on eastern ave sat there at four o'clock and by five o'clock she had a shot wow there were 12 extra doses. So again, well, very one thing I can yeah. speak to is even though the process of getting an appointment for the mass sites seems to be very difficult, having accompanied my mother to her appointments, when you have an appointment in hand and you arrive there, they're handling it very well, very professional, mm -hmm. very smooth. They get people in and out. It feels very safe. The amount of space yeah. they have there is excellent. So, you know, I think as long as folks can get past that initial hurdle of getting an appointment, there should be no hesitation about going to any of those sites and, and getting that shot. That's a good thing. Now, Dustin, um, you should be, uh, in terms of, you know, your other job, uh, you should be coming up. And it feels like, I think I was just reading that something like 75% of the 75 year olds and over have been vaccinated. Now we're looking at 400,000 teachers. Uh, I think before they open up the next round, does, did, do you have any sense when that might be? I, I don't. And it, so one of the things that I'm kind of finding is that a lot of like businesses and things like that are kind of out on their own to try to make this work. Like, so there's two jobs that I have and a lot of people know them, you know, day job, I work for the sale news weekend job. I do retail over by the uh, rock or no, not Rocky Cat mall, Liberty tree mall. And, um, and so, you know, at the day job, we're kind of like, okay, we would like to try to get access to vaccines at some point, don't really know what's going on there. But the weekend job working retail, they're like, yeah, we've got a form that's ready to go. Here it is. And if you can get your appointment, then great. So it, that's been really interesting. And for me, there's been a little bit of kind of guilt about that because I'm kind of like, okay, you know, here I am, I'm 37 years old, decent health. Do I wedge myself into the appointment queue and take up a spot that could be used by a teacher or by somebody who's working fast food and handling food, for example, like there's all these different competing 
you know, sectors of the economy are all trying to do the exact same thing. But that kind of pulls me back to, you know, we're all talking about the headaches that are involved with trying to get an appointment and things like that to Rebecca's point just now, where you once you get the appointment, you're good. You know, of all the systems to be breaking, at least it's the one where you're trying to get the appointment, not where the, not the one where they're putting something into your body. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I forget, I was just reading about one state, I forget what it is, that they said uh, May 1st, everyone's going to be eligible. Um, so I think we're all holding our breath. At, at this point in time, I, I feel like if anybody's still looking, it's just a diligence. It's uh, go on Thursday mornings. Um, I actually saw someone on Facebook post that, oh, you know, it was like nine o'clock at night. They saw something over at another CVS or Walgreens. So it's really just trying to, um, you know, get in that. And, and you can also you can also sign up to be alerted um, for that. So um, and you can also call the 211 number for anybody that's still looking for that. So um, Thursday mornings, um, just keep track, 211. Uh, mass vaccine site um, you know if you want to spend an hour or two not every day but you know it's it may be worth it but you know I I do think that the challenges in access and the problems with the rollout speak to why the governor's approval rating is so low right now right Massachusetts mm-hmm. has not handled it as well as other states and the whole move to privatize the rollout um, I don't know there's there's so much to unpack there um, I'm just I'm just glad for the people who are getting their vaccines. You know, everyone needs to be vaccinated. It's in the public interest. And I just hope that the rollout gets better and better from here moving forward. And, and you know, the thing, too, is like Doubletree is off of a highway. It's not the easiest place to get to. You, too. I mean, right. Like it's it's off a highway, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so access yeah. is a concern, right? Yeah, especially when we think about something along the lines of, you know, in order to do all this, you need to get an appointment. What do you need to get the appointment? You need technology, you need internet access. And these are all the conversations that we were having back in March of last year where people were like, okay, kids have to be learning from home. Well, how do you get on the internet if you don't have tech at home, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and, and the system doesn't seem to have been designed to ensure equity and access, so that is definitely a big concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I was reading a New York Times article today that had um, many, many experts in the health field, Dr. Fauci was one of them, and things things that we didn't do well, and one of them is we left the states to decide on their own what was going to happen instead of having a national policy about rolling out you know, well, things like the masks and you know, all of all of those other kind of things and, and, and how to be more equitable with the shots. And there's probably about 10 different people um, that were weighing in on that. And that was that was important. I, I'm hoping that um, some of the teachers, um, they could they could actually go to their schools and, uh, you know, and then maybe they can open up the service workers, which I'm concerned about the next group of service workers. Need desperately needing to be because we're opening up our restaurants which we'll talk about later on in the show yeah and and to kind of move things forward a little bit we're going to be i i love that we're talking about race equity because obviously there are huge race equity issues here in this situation Mm -hmm. 
But before we dig into race equity and the latest work with the race equity task force, we do have another issue that has been kind of popping up in the city in the past couple of months that also ties a little bit into race equity, and that is a gun shop proposal that is on Florence Street. So Nahant residents looking to open a firearms retailer on Florence Street, which is right on the southern edge of downtown. And they're currently in front of the city's zoning board. As we're taping this, the meeting to launch this discussion is just a day away after having been posted. February, we've been able to see what public comment looks like, and it's pretty heavily against proposal. Even for tomorrow night's meeting, I think it's 52 comments against and only two comments for. But everywhere I look at social media, specifically comment sections, there's a really interesting conversation playing out about gun rights, crime in Salem, the proximity to the point, which is where you start getting into the race equity issues, mm-hmm. and that whole territory of deliberation. So who wants to kick this one off? There's a lot to discuss here, too. Well, um, one of the things I'll, I'll pop in um, in terms of looking at statistics, um, I reached out to Hawk um, and they sent me back a uh, um, an article by Jane Doe and with the Mass Office for Victim Assistance that was done last year, May of 2020. Um, and the American Journal of Public Health um, says the, the presence of a gun in a home for domestic violence increases the risk of homicide for a woman five hundred percent five hundred percent the idea also the risk of suicide even though a gun is only used in five percent it is 50 the reason for 50 percent of the deaths so looking at the danger and also the idea of what this pandemic has meant in terms of looking at domestic violence so i think that this is an appropriate time to understand that uh this this the access the access to firearms, uh, I personally think um, should be minimized um, with these kind of, even just those two statistics in hand. I think the, the implicit conversation, the, the, the implicit, the implications of wanting to set it up in proximity to our point neighborhood which we know is a very it's a part of salem's diversity and and this whole issue really like really it's troublesome to me to to the implications of setting it up in that neighborhood says so much that i hope people can figure out for themselves and i don't have to really dig deeply into about who one expects to buy them, about how one doesn't care about issues around crime in that neighborhood except to talk about them as why we as as an issue in that neighborhood. I would not feel differently about having it, I would not feel differently about having it if it were located in a different neighborhood, but I would have a different perspective on it. I would still oppose it, but I would have a different perspective on it's very, it's not that subtle to figure out why one thinks our point neighborhood is a place to locate a gun shop. And I would hope that people can see through that. Well, and there's ample data showing that all kinds of decisions are made about where to place developments and services that part of the population might find objectionable 
you know, there's a pattern in this country, it's not unique to Salem, of placing these types of services, businesses, developments in places where, you know, the community is the least powerful and has the least ability to say, no, we don't want that here. The more powerful segments of the population can say, no, not in our backyard. So whose backyard does it go into, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, um, really a big national problem and a concern. I think no matter what side you fall on with an issue like guns, um, just thinking what it signifies uh, about what neighborhood it winds up in and what the power dynamics are that underlie that decision-making in that location uh, are really important to think about. Agreed. Um, don't we, we, we have a fairly strident uh, gun control issue here in Salem. I understand that you do have to wait for three days. I understand that the police are the ones the police chief, the police chief the police is the one who, who regulates who has gun license or not. Right. And they're the ones, I think you, yeah, they, they're the ones who are in charge of issuing so, it. So it's not just you're going to walk in and buy a gun and then, wait a minute, can you buy the gun and then you have to wait to be licensed? Does anyone know that? I'm not, you probably, you have to be licensed. I mean, I can't imagine you not, not being licensed at all, you know, and just being able to go buy a gun. I couldn't right. imagine. Right. Okay. So you have to have the license to buy the gun. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's basically a permit to carry a gun, you know, whether it's right. concealed, you have to have it to 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 hold the like basically have it in your possession. So yeah, um, I I personally am just afraid of guns in general. I mean, even if they're in the room and not even even if they're holstered, I just I'm not very comfortable being around guns whatsoever. Um, you know, I, like I told you guys earlier, I did the Salem Police Academy, uh, Citizens Police Academy, a couple of years back, and had the opportunity to. Uh, shoot a gun and I just I was one of the ones that just said no sorry I'm not going to do it you know they just make me uncomfortable and yeah I just rather not I'd, live, I'd rather live in a world where there, there aren't guns so that's kind of where I'm at with that but yeah I actually had a personal experience with that because I was uh, living with a gentleman for three years uh, in my early 20s and his father had owned a legal legally owned a gun and shot his mother and <laughs> at that point you lose both of your parents because one is no longer alive and the other parent is, is in jail. So it, it was a real tragic situation. So maybe one of, and it's, you know, it's awful to hear that. And that's a story that tends to get replicated over and over again across the country. Um, obviously there's, you know, Salem's a very progressive city and, you know, it, so it was no surprise to see such an outcry against this proposal as soon as it came forward. Uh, to kind of to, to Gwen's point where it's, you know, if it was anywhere else in the city, you'd still be opposed to it. But, you know, the reasons would change. Is there anything that the city could do or any way that this shop could exist that, we here would feel comfortable with. I, I don't know. I thought there was already a gun shop in Salem. Yes, two as far as we Two so far? And, and, yeah, and, and, I, and I need to look into that too. I, I've been meaning to look into, you know, what's going on, where those businesses are located, things like that. But yeah. anybody I talk to says that there's two of them. That, that would let that would tell you sort of what the conditions are around them existing, the existing ones and that may, might serve as a model for this one. Where are they? I, I never even knew they existed. Yeah, and that, and that goes to kind of show, you know, yeah. and I don't know how much that speaks to, you know, the crime issues that we're having in the city right now, but the fact that we're all kind of, you know, question marks above our heads, wait, there's already one here? You know, it's, I, I feel like that's kind of, that's part of the conversation where we're, we're all kind of like, well, if it's here, 
you know, it's we're obviously not hearing about it, you know. Because it may be lo- in locations that we don't see it, you know. It's like like what Gwen was saying and Rebecca was saying. Maybe it's just in a not in a downtown location. Or being here, not only if if we don't know about where it is, because it's you know there's a, there's a silence around it. But how many more do we need? So if if there's already one or two in existence in the city of Salem. Does a town the size of Salem need a third one? Yeah. I mean, you, you could arguably say that you could apply minimums to it, just like they do pot shops. You know, it's tied to the number of, uh, you know, store, I mean, package stores that we have or something like that. Um, so that could be a policy solution. I mean, at the very least, we know that the conversation is going to be starting. This episode will run after the first meeting had been held. And I know oftentimes with zoning, these things can drag out and kind of go on and on and on. So we'll keep where it goes. And well, well, what I'm saying, I should probably back up there for a second. Uh, You're dealing with the Second Amendment, too. So, you know, any type of restriction would probably be challenged. And I'm sure there's organizations out there that just challenge this type of stuff, would challenge it even if they have no connection to, to Salem whatsoever. And you could very easily also see, you know, while as far as I know, the city council doesn't have a whole lot of say, they they can find a way to have a say. And I know that there are people on both sides of the issue on the city council. So we'll be it'll be interesting to see if there's a debate that kind of starts there. And then that I think will increase everybody's ability to talk about. this. Well, it's 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 just like, you know, again, that's what zoning is like. What do you want in certain parts of your city? Just like what Rebecca and Gwen were saying. Just the same was, you know, now that we have the internet, a lot of people do not, do not have to go to porn shops, but do you want a porn shop, uh, you know, next to a daycare? Um, so it's about zoning and zoning means what do you want in your neighborhoods? What do you want in your downtown districts? And so um, that's, that's why they're gonna go through the Zoning Board of Appeals because it is now not an allowed business in this area. Um, certainly, I think you're right. If, if it does, if it does go beyond tomorrow night, uh, people can certainly weigh in at the planning department with Liv, uh, Liv McCarthy. But uh, I don't know if that will be too late by the time this airs, because um, he has a uh, Lev McCarthy at Salem.com. Even if you want to put something in afterward, um, you can reach out to the city. Yeah, certainly. And on that note, just to move things along, um, we, you know, we've already talked about kind of the race equity components of this, to also COVID. Um, in the past month, we've seen the work that's being done by the city's race equity task force, um, which you know got a presentation toward the end of February. They came and presented their work so far, revealing to us a five-pronged approach to driving race equity to a new level in Salem. And just to list them really quickly, they're looking at healthcare, public safety, education, economics, and community culture. Each of these carries work on everything falling under the umbrella. The healthcare subcommittee is looking at health and housing issues, disparities existing in that work of that nature. Then you've got the education side of it. it has a goal of improving diversity among school staff and increasing family engagement. There's a million ways to start this conversation, just like the last two. So I'm just going to, you know, put that burden on to you guys. You know, who wants to kick this one off? Well, like you said, the, the committee, and I'm a member of the committee, uh, has undertaken um, a survey to get the sen- a sense of what the community of Salem, the city people, residents of Salem, think about a number of topics, including education and healthcare, 
uh, there's a creative um, kind of topic under there. So uh, we had a decent response to the survey, enough that we can begin to uh, come up with some thoughts, some compile some thoughts about recommendations, enough in which we have a sense of where people are standing. And we also did uh, a webinar in which representatives from each of the subcommittees was available to present their findings, to present what the survey had indicated thus far, and an opportunity after the webinar for several people to come in and ask questions of the, the representatives from the subcommittees. So I want to say that this task force has been busy. It has taken its work very, very seriously. Uh, it has offered to and listened to people from every area, every interest, every stakeholder, if you will, in the city. And we're looking forward to preparing what uh, will be an, kind of an interim report that will, again, summarize some of the things we've talked about, some of the things we've heard, and begin to make recommendations. What I think is crucial for people to understand is that this is the proverbial marathon and not a sprint. That many of the things that we're finding out that we may end up uh, making recommendations about um, are just the beginning of the process. That we didn't get to where we are as, as a community, as a state, as a country, in terms of race equity overnight. And it will take a while as we chip away at it. But I think uh, people need to understand that this committee has taken this work very seriously and is listening, listening, listening to all facets within the community. And we're looking forward to beginning to put together some thoughts and ideas and share that with the community. Gwen, um, do you feel like, you know, I mean, I'm looking at things on social media uh, and I certainly enjoy so many of the posts that I see from all of you. Um, do you feel like that there's just a shift already? I feel like there's a shift, there's a shift already in terms of um, prioritizing the work that I think we should have always prioritized. Um, and... Uh, you know, going forward uh, in terms of looking at uh, being a part of this community, being an ally in this community, um, what can what can people do within the community to uh, help move these initiatives forward? I understand there will be a report and probably more of that, but even in the interim, is there anything um, that uh, we can be thinking about or, or being active with? From my perspective, and not necessarily speaking for the task force, but from my perspective, that the first thing people need to do is to listen. Listen to their neighbors, listen to people who are talking about their concerns. Because there's a tendency to think that in my town, everything's okay. There's no inequity in my town. I'm not prejudiced. It's not a problem. Talk about, you know, go to the big cities. That's where they have the problem. And not listen to folks who are their neighbors and who are experiencing inequity every single day. So the first thing I would say is folks need to listen and believe. 
and the other thing I would say is that moving forward is going to require some among is going to require some deep self assessment on that I too read on social media and I see people say things and I go, well, I'm not going down that rabbit hole because I'm just not. Um, It's good to sense, and I think you're right, to sense that there is a shift, but we don't want to take that shift for granted. And we don't want to assume that oh, everybody gets it. And I would say that in the context of upcoming elections in Salem, which I think are going to be very interesting. So while we look at, while we consider that maybe our neighbors, our acquaintances, our colleagues are beginning to shift in the area of race equity, We should not underestimate, not everyone is going down that shift. Speaking for myself and my observations and my experiences. Yeah, I mean, you're still seeing, one of the really big catalysts for the conversation last year was whenever we had these protests coming up uh, regarding George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or something like that. There was always somebody saying, well, you know, what about the limits at the restaurants? You're breaking the group limits and things like that. And you're still seeing people have that conversation and people are still making those comments online saying, well, you shouldn't be gathering right now because it's unsafe to do so. And this kind of reminds me of a, can't remember exactly where it is, shame on me for not pulling it up right now, but there was a story about somebody who was um, a victim of police brutality, a woman, and there were women protesting to support that woman, and then police showed up and arrested them all, you know, basically saying, you know, it's it's a COVID issue, you shouldn't be doing that, you know, missing the point that the reason why they're getting together in the first place is because of brutality, and then they're using brutality to respond to brutality. And, you know, I can say as someone who teaches courses in Salem State's wonderful diversity general education curriculum, um, you know, the younger people of Salem who I see in my classes, they get it and they they want to see change happen. But even that isn't uniform, right? Like people will say, oh, the young people are the hope of the future. There is there is so, so much work to be done. We can't assume that just because they're younger, um, their ideas are a little more up to date on these things. Some of the things that I still hear, it, it's, the, it's the very innocent idea that, oh, but racism is something that happens in the South. And then they hear their classmates say, well, actually it happens in the dorms. It happens everywhere. So... You know, I, I think folks coming to terms with the idea that it is everywhere and it is all around us and we need to listen to the experiences of our neighbors and believe them when they say, no, it's it's happening here too. Um, if we can't get past that point, it's hard to do the other bigger work that needs to happen as well. If you want to share any final thoughts on this before we move on? I look forward. To, I, I wasn't able to see the webinar because I'm on the licensing board, so uh, hoping to be able to see that. But I, I, I like the idea that we probably should do a check-in with this um, uh, once a month. I'd like to just, you know, if we can, there's more things to report um, <clears throat> as this is ongoing, and hopefully we can and share this with others. But uh, I appreciate um, 
being able to check in on this. Yeah, certainly. And especially as the work starts getting a little more visible and we start seeing the committees basically saying, okay, here's what we did with this and took that, it's going to be great to cover. So now entering a totally different world, the city's political world is starting to warm up with candidates pulling papers. And one of the hottest city council issues from last year coming back, uh, Will, do you want to take this one? ADUs, the accessory uh, dwelling units are back in Salem uh, before the uh, Salem City Council. They can't they they're back for the third time in three years so the two other times it failed or they didn't take it up the last time right right dustin doesn't they, they didn't take it up so it just died in committee um and now the reason why mayor driscoll has been able to bring it back is because of the housing choice legislation that governor baker signed in the beginning of january and what well it was actually part of a bigger omnibus bill about economic development and uh it lowers the threshold required to pass certain pieces of zoning or zone yeah, zoning uh, ordinances and just amendments and this one uh is yeah so so now it's it's basically allowed it's it's um changed the voting threshold from a super majority to a majority and uh salem has the votes now to to pass it so uh, they've, they've 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 killed the last uh two basically because by by one by one vote so um yeah that's kind of where the ADUs are at right now, um, and it would it would basically expand uh, the use of these to to tackle Salem's housing crisis uh, in situation. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and there's certainly I mean, a lot of conversation to stake, especially this idea where something that failed twice, well, really failed only once, was going to fail twice, and then they kind of yanked it out. You know, coming back again, it makes you think about all these other conversations that have played out and failed because they didn't have enough people on board, even though they did have enough people on board. So, um, and I mean, especially with, you know, accessory dwelling units, it's such a hard issue to get into, but it still kind of breaks into equity and things like that, because you look at who's able to buy homes, you look at who's able to afford homes and there's a whole conversation there that we can dig into i don't know if anybody wants to pick up that piece well, well uh first off right now the existing ordinance says that if you want to have an accessory dwelling unit uh, on your property it's it can only be used for like a li- like relatives or someone who helps your family uh and then for it does it have to be a senior does it have to be a senior do you guys know Usually it's for like a senior citizen that needs help uh, and there's, yeah, okay. Or so, uh, or yeah, like an in-law, like could live on in it as well. And then once it's done, you have to raise it. And this is a great way to build our affordable housing stock because uh, not only did the mayor file uh, amendments to zoning, but she also filed a tax exemption home rule petition. So they, she filed a home rule petition that would create a tax exemption uh, for people who um, make their affordable housing units, uh, their, their um, I'm sorry, their accessory dwelling units, um, affordable housing. And then the other one was uh, ch- changing the zoning so that the affordable or that the uh, accessory dwelling units uh, can't be used as short short term rentals as well right dustin yeah so think about it this way i was thinking about this uh earlier which was all the dentist so you have a toolbox and you open it up and you have a hammer you have nothing else you just have a hammer and so this is just another tool in the toolbox to use uh, for affordable housing 
And also it gives an option. Um, I remember years and years and years ago, I got to live in this really like nice little apartment because I babysat for the children. So maybe it's not just the idea that you would have an affordable unit, but it could create a situation where you could be, if it's an elderly person, maybe you do some work for them or um, it, it just, it just opens up a whole other, whole other opportunities uh, to think about housing. Anybody else want to throw anything on that before we move on to the final topic of the day? Let's, let's just do one quick quick thing, um, because we are talking about affordable housing. Um, there's a couple of things coming up that I think we should keep an eye on. One of them is the Fort Lee Terrace process. I don't know a lot of information, but they're looking at, um, you know, 51 units. There's small little tiny apartments that are actually not even handicap accessible. My dad used to live in an apartment like that um, over in Collins Cove. Uh, and uh, they're trying to figure out, you know, environmental issues. Uh, the other one is that the North Shore CDC and the health center have collaborated and bought the Goldberg building. That is the building next to Wendy's uh, on the corner of the Point neighborhood. And to look at expanding, doubling the size of the health uh, uh, community health center, which is in Shetland Park. Also more affordable housing, particularly for seniors. Um, beautiful walkways when they when they build they're, they're looking at uh, uh, doing some really great things in that neighborhood with some great architects uh, there's actually a person they want to do redo PVD Park which will be across the street from a new building that they're building 21 uh, 21 affordable units on PVD Street that's part of that so the other thing is there is already some nimbyism in, in this project. It's gonna to have to go through the ZBA. So uh, I'm on their board, full disclosure. So I will probably be, be looking for people to advocate for this. It's just a great connection between the point and the downtown. Um, so uh, that's gonna be coming up and uh, for more affordable housing. One other thing I will say is I, I my sense is listening to people that are Maybe the NIMBYism or don't understand how affordable housing works. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more information. I know the mayor wants to get more information out there, you know, connected to 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 the people that actually are involved with with uh, affordable housing, as well as the North Shore CDC, you know, giving us some more information about how many units they have. They've created 376 units. They're on target to do more. So I think this is top top of the line, and that may be something that we should visit occasionally or even invite somebody like Mickey to come in and talk to us about uh, the affordable housing in Salem and the North Shore. So let's consider that. Yep. So we're just about dry on time, but before we sign off, there's one more thing we want to go around the table on. It's spring, believe it or not, it was snowing over the weekend. And we are all watching as the city's restaurant scene opens up, outside dining options are returning, and we've got a wave of new businesses going into their first warm months, most notably coffee shops. While COVID-19 has been shuttering small businesses left and right across the country, a couple of brave souls are opening them in Salem amid the global pandemic. In the city's recently inducted two new businesses into its already brimming portfolio of coffee shops. Elsewhere, we've seen the Bubble Tea Shop open and the city's flagship tea shop recently relocated to new and larger drinks as well. So what do we think about this? There's a lot to talk about here. Where can folks try out these new additions in the city? Has anyone visited them yet? And do we already have any favorite meals or anything? 
Um, I'm really excited about the Wolf Next Door coffee shop because mm -hmm. the the founder of that has such an excellent track record in Salem, right? She owns the Lobster Shanty. Um, she had started um, Ugly Mug. So, you know, she's just a very experienced restaurant entrepreneur and uh, it's named after herself because her name's Dan Wolf. So she's the Wolf Next Door. I, I love it. It's very Salem. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I love their coffee too. The coffee that they, I mean, we got to watch yourself because... Uh, you'll have heart palpitations after you drank it. Um, so anyone who wants to like, you know, focus or something, I mean, that's the coffee place to go. But she's super nice. I love the way her sense of humor. You know, they also have they're really community oriented, and I think they'll be even more community oriented. It's and, and actually it's on Der it's on Derby Street. Actually, it's right around the neighborhood that I live. Um, and uh, I know I was like pointing there, but uh, it's good. They're going to be super community oriented. They are already are doing it in a way where that they can kind of do it in a, in in COVID. Uh, in the COVID era right now, which is they have like a little food pantry for people. And they also have a little library inside. Uh, the food's great. And they also serve AJ and King uh, pastries and croissants. So um, yeah, I I am a big fan of uh, that, that new coffee shop where Derby Joe's used to be. So right next to Ricky Taverns. They do have um, gluten-free sections. They have gluten-free options. If anybody needs that. Um, and one of the things to think about is if you've been dying to see a friend, meet there, get your coffee, walk down to the custom house. You can sit on the stairs in nice weather, socially distanced, or you can walk down to the National Park site and they have uh, the Adirondack chairs and you can uh, safely social distance there. So it's just a great spot if you want to take a walk, see your friend, have coffee together and just spread out. So We've done that actually, haven't we? Yes, we have. <laughs> we have done um, that. Anybody been to Odd Meter? I haven't been there yet, but that's my next place I'm going to try out. Gwen, have you been to Odd Meter yet? I have not yet. I have not, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we saw, let me know when you're going. Yes. Let me know when. Okay, we'll go. We'll socially distance and we'll go. Okay. The, 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 the people who actually own it are a couple that moved to Salem and they actually had this whole business plan worked out. So, like, they really are putting their chips on Salem. Like, you know, they're really uh, are invested in the community. And, they, and uh, also their employees are part of the ownership. They have, like, an ownership model that they people have a stake, who work there have a stake in it as well. So they and then yeah. local. So Wolf Next Door hired a local artist, Mike Grimaldi, to do some work in that. And Odd Meter hired Anna Dugan to do a, a mural in there. So, you know, they're spreading the love besides just coffee <laughs> to the art scene too. And that's a wrap for the segment. So just a quick reminder for everybody that the Salem Witch Trials exhibit at PBD Essex closes on April 4th. So you've only got a few days left before you can go check that out. So please do. PBD Essex deserves the trip, even if it's free for you. So for Deb, Gwen, Rebecca, Will, myself, and Alan, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you the next time things are happening in Salem.